In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com and get up to 15% off your first purchase as a member with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for up to 15% off your first purchase as a member. Betches Media presents... Diet Starts Tomorrow with host Sammy Sage I'm having a relationship with my pizza and Aileen Drexler I'm gonna make you girls a hump day treat in a world where wellness looks perfect on Instagram Just doing my workout Tuesday's arms and back but feels anything but in real life Is butter a carb? Yes This is the podcast exploring the emotional side of well-being I would be proud to partake of your pecan pie from people who understand the struggle I'm on the third day of my cleanse diet Hello and welcome back to Diet Starts Tomorrow. I'm Sammy and today we are joined by Claire Bidwell-Smith. She's a therapist, renowned grief expert, and the author of three books. And today Claire and I are going to talk about the monster subject of grief. So welcome Claire. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining me. There's really so much to dissect in this topic and, you know, the way it relates to health, the way it relates to our habits. So what, I guess, guided you to this area of psychology? Oh, you know, um, I think I was guided to it. My parents both uh, died when I was young. They both got sick with cancer when I was a teenager. And my mom died when I was a freshman in college. And my father died shortly after I graduated college. Um, I'm an only child, so I'm it was so like, sorry. thanks, um, starting yeah. adulthood in, in a lot of grief and existential ponderings, um, really in a different place than a lot of my peers. So that's kind of how I, um, entered into it personally. And then I ended up going back and getting my master's degree in clinical psychology. And, you know, a lot of students in my program, death and dying and grief was the last thing they wanted to do. And, and that since I had so much experience with it and felt pretty comfortable with it, I decided that I should try to be helpful. And I worked in hospice and now I've been in private practice for over a decade. Wow. I mean, so we we have something in common in that I feel like I sort of was in a similar place in my 20s as well. I lost my brother and my Mm. grandmother within the same week. And then I lost my grandfather a year later. Plus, Mm. on top of that, that sort of led to a number of other upheavals within my family. So I really feel like I can relate to being in a place that's sort of at odds with most of the people around you. Mm-hmm. Um, and grief often is that, you know, it's it's lonely. There's never really a convenient time for it. So, yeah, that, I mean, really explains a lot. Yeah, that's a lot of loss for you to go through all at once. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's I don't even have words for it. It's, it's mm. difficult to process. But yeah, I mean, so let's, let's, I guess, speak more broadly now. What, how would you describe grief to someone who maybe hasn't been through it? How, what are some maybe misconceptions about grief and how people go through it? I mean, I think the biggest misconception is that people really underestimate it. They, they don't 
realize how big it is, how unwieldy it is, the all the different kinds of emotions that can come up from it, the way our lives actually change on a practical level sometimes because of loss. And then I think the number one is that people don't um, understand how long grief lasts. You know, I mean, losing a brother, losing a parent, losing a child. I mean, these are huge losses that stay with us throughout our lifetimes. It's not that we're always actively grieving, um, but initially, yeah, for a lot longer than people think. And then it is also a loss that kind of continues to come up and be part of our lives uh, forever. So how long would you say that like most people think grief lasts versus how long it actually does last? Well, I mean, what do we get? Like a few days off from work for it. So there's that. There's one measure right there. Um, You know, a lot of people will show up for someone who's going through a loss in the first few weeks. So that's another measure. Then it drops off after that. Um, There is the five stages of grief that were developed in the 1960s that outline a certain formula. Um, I think a lot of people assume that you should be back on your feet after a few months when the reality is that often losses get really hard in the six to 12 month range. Um, I think that's when a lot of the support has dropped off. I think that's when a lot of the reality of the loss has set in. Um, You're also the longest you've been usually from seeing that person, talking with them. So it's a really hard time period. The first year is immense, you know? No, that's definitely true. I actually recently saw something that was, that basically said that it was, there's a new diagnosis, which is like extended grief. Mm-hmm. Do you think that there like should be a separate diagnosis for that or if that's something that is just sort of like a normal manifestation like at what point does someone get a diagnosis around their grief Yeah you know I I it's hard to to figure this out and and there's lots of uh, pros and cons about it. This idea of complicated grief. Um, I always say that, like, I think all grief is complicated to a certain extent. Um, but I do see that some people get stuck in their grief. Um, they get stuck in certain places with it. Either it's guilt um, and regret around something that happened around the loss, something they felt they could have done to prevent it or change it. Um, or something they didn't do before the person died. And then there's a lot of people who get stuck in anger. So that's another space. Um, Or people feel like they don't grieve. You know, a lot of people will tell me that they feel like they have unprocessed grief. Um, These things can all lend to extended periods of grieving, to complicated grief. I think we're seeing a lot of that uh, with COVID. I think um, a lot of people who lost someone uh, to COVID during the pandemic, are now experiencing extended feelings around it because um, they're, you know, watching people who are having lots of different feelings about whether the pandemic is real or vaccines and all these kinds of things. So there's they're watching that go on while they're grieving the loss of someone who did die from it. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm working with a lot of people who are feeling a lot of stuff come up around that. Plus, it's very triggering because they're, the pandemic is continuing to unfold. And so they're constantly barraged with information about it when they've lost someone to that specific loss. Yeah, I mean, that definitely makes so much sense that right now you're, we're all experiencing sort of, a, you know, we're all adjacent to grief in some way, depending on what extent, you know, to which we've been affected by this. But I just want to go back to something you said about being stuck. How does someone know if they're stuck or if what they're experiencing is just normal, quote unquote, 
grief? It's a good question. And some of that plays into this length of time. I mean, some people, most people who come to see me think they have been grieving for too long. They're like, uh, you know, the messages I'm getting is that I should be over this by now. And, you know, usually they're at like the eight month mark and I'm like, it's really okay to still be crying all the time, or it's really okay to still be angry or whatever it is they're going through. So that's on one hand, but then You know, I think, you know, you're stuck when maybe you've only experienced one emotion. Um, Maybe you've only felt anger or maybe you've um, been really stuck in guilt or maybe you um, get triggered very often. And every time you get triggered around your person, you shut it down and you don't allow yourself to feel the whole range of emotions or allow yourself to just have a good cry. Um, A lot of people will do that. And then some people are very, you know, like their lives don't allow for it. Either they don't have a good support system or they have a very busy career or they have a family that they're raising and there's no space for grief, you know, so it gets pushed to the corners. And when that happens, it spills out in lots of unhealthy ways. Mm-hmm. What, what does unprocessed grief look like? I personally think I have some of that or a lot of it potentially. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, again, it's that idea that um, you didn't have time to grieve, you didn't have space to grieve, or it was too painful and you weren't sure how to process it and sit with it. Grief will kind of have its way with you no matter what. So even if you didn't allow for that space and time, it's probably still sitting there waiting for you to attend to it. And again, I do think it spills out and manifests in lots of different ways. Um, Toxic relationships, substance abuse, anxiety, depression. um, Those are all kind of markers for grief we haven't let ourselves experience. So how do you access your grief if you can't? I mean, I think you do need help, the support of a therapist or support group or just, you know, being intentional about it. Um, I will tell some people, like, maybe you schedule time for your grief. I know that sounds weird, but I think that we get so afraid that if we open that door, we're going to fall apart. So we just don't open the door to the grief. Um, But maybe you pick a Saturday afternoon when you know you don't have anything going on that night and you know you don't have to work the next day and you sit down and you go through some old photos or you listen to some music or you write a letter to your person that died and you really just like let it open up and let it come out. And it's scary. It can be really overwhelming. There can be a lot of crying or a lot of anger, a lot of feelings come up. Um, but giving yourself that space and time for it is really important. It is how you kind of help clear some of these other issues that come as a result. It feels like cat food has been the same forever. Smelly, boring, made of mystery ingredients. That's why you've got to try Smalls. Smalls cat food is protein-packed recipes made with preservative-free ingredients you'd find in your fridge. And it's delivered right to your door. Make the switch from kibble and give your cat a meal they'll love. We actually sent some to my friend who is fostering kittens and it is the only thing they will eat. It comes in these pate packages and you scoop it and you just feel like you're a chef for your baby kitties and they j'adore it. Your cute kitty is descended from ferocious desert cats who hunted live prey. Even if your cat prefers to nap all day, they still need fresh protein-packed meals for a balanced and healthy diet. Other brands fill their food with mysterious meat byproducts, artificial flavoring, and preservatives with names I don't even want to try to pronounce. After switching it up to Smalls, 90% of cat owners reported overall health improvements. That's major. The team at Smalls is so confident your cat will love their product that you can try it risk-free. 
That means they'll completely refund you if your picky cat won't eat their food. Now is the time to make the switch to Smalls. Head to smalls.com slash DST and use promo code DST at checkout for 50% off your first order plus free shipping. That's the best offer you'll find, but you have to use my code DST for 50% off your first order. One last time, that's promo code DST for 50% off your first order plus free shipping, baby. So earlier you alluded to the five stages of grief, of which denial, I feel like everyone knows is the first one. What if someone, you know, gets stuck in denial? Like, will that eventually surface? Is that possible? It's a good question. Um, The five stages are denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. And, you know, I think that grief is just really hard. It's really hard to feel that pain, to comprehend the loss, to integrate it into our lives. So we do stay in denial for long periods of time, or we stay in anger, which helps us not feel the sadness, um, or we get stuck in depression. There's lots of places we can get stuck or stay in order to avoid the more intensive feelings, you know? But again, I think that when we do that, we see it spill out in other ways. You know, if you're, if you're in denial about your loss, it's probably coming out in anger or anxiety, or you're eating your feelings or you're drinking them or, you know, whatever's going on to keep it in that place of denial. So for people who do cope with, let's say like eating or drinking their feelings, whatever it is, whatever particular coping mechanism, how would you advise people to move past that type of behavior and actually, you know, do the processing? Yeah, I don't think it's a matter of like, working on that actual behavior right away. I think it's more of a matter of going underneath the surface and, and you'll see kind of a less, um, less of a drive to go after those behaviors, you know? So if you are actually sitting with your grief and allowing it to come through, then you are able to face the emotions that you're trying to cover up in other ways, you know? So really kind of working with those emotions as a starting point is the important part. But again, it's really scary. People get really scared to do that. And it, really overwhelmed. Um, I I have so many people tell me they really feel like their lives will fall apart if they let themselves feel the enormity of that loss. Um, And and that's, you know, I think that's valid. So again, finding support while you go through that, whether it's a therapist or a support group, I think is is really vital. What I really have trouble dealing with the question of is like, will I be like sad when I'm like 60? You know what I mean? Like, will I, will this always, will, will, if you get to a point of your life where you have like a really big moment of grief, does that mean you're like marred by grief forever? Sort of that, that's a thought that really scares me, but I don't know, maybe you have some like more hopeful insights about that. I think I do. I mean, the answer is yes and no. I think that my mom's been gone for 25 years. I am still absolutely sad about it. I hate that she's not here. It's really hard. I've got three kids she never met. I'm definitely sad about it. But, or, and I also have a really meaningful life that I love. I'm happy. I'm thriving. It's kind of both. It's like, you can, you don't have to pick one. You don't have to pick that you're always going to be just sad or only happy and don't think about your loss. Like it's a, it's about integrating both into your life. It's about finding space to hold that loss and absolutely feeling sad and always wishing that person were still here and still living a really meaningful life that you love. Like both are possible and just finding space to hold both. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I mean, I do actually feel that I 
I experienced that. But um, I don't know. There's something like that's hard to come to terms with about like even having the grief as its own thing, mm-hmm. kind of. Yeah. Well, I mean, this is that idea of acceptance, which I think is, or closure, which I think are both kind of myths, right? Um, this idea that we have to, you know, finally accept it. And once we do that, we can move on. Um, I don't know. I don't know if we ever move on from a loss. And I think that acceptance comes in many different forms at many different times. I think this idea of closure is a myth. Um, I think we can come to points of acceptance where we're like, okay, I accept this as part of my life. And then five years later, something happens and it opens it back up again. You know, like it, it changes all the time. And it, for me, again, I think that the key is to find a way to integrate that loss into your life. How do you hold that loss? How do you hold your ideas and your knowledge now about life and death um, and the fragility of it? How do you how do you make space for that in your life while at the same time continuing to thrive? Right. A question that I had for a very long time, and maybe I sort of have come to terms with it a little bit, but maybe you could you could, I'm sure, give a more clear answer. What does acceptance like actually feel like like when you have achieved that? Or yeah. Um, I think it's kind of about accepting that the loss is real. I, I think a lot of us fight it, you know. Um, I think we fight it by not acknowledging it by not allowing ourselves to move through the series of emotions that come with it. And I think there's an unconscious part of us that thinks, well, if I don't accept it, then maybe it's never going to be real. Or if I do a certain number of things in my life, maybe it will change or the the person will come back. It's a totally unconscious, irrational feeling, but nonetheless, it's there. So I think acceptance means really acknowledging that this thing has happened, this trauma, this loss, this life change, and now your life is not what you thought it would be. Um, And working from there, like you're now living this new version of life that you never wanted or expected or thought it would be like, yet how do you accept that? Right. Is it possible to grieve for things that are not like a death or, you know, something even as big as a divorce? Absolutely. I led a grief divorce support group last year. But yeah, I think we all saw that a lot in the pandemic too. I think I finally saw grief being acknowledged in a different way last year when people were talking about grief over um, schools being shut down or weddings being canceled or, you know, our health or our healthcare system or politics. Like we started to really acknowledge grief around a lot of things, racial injustice. Um, there was a lot of grief being acknowledged, which is great. We absolutely grieve. We grieve throughout our lifetimes over and over many, many different things. Can you grieve things like maybe like an old worldview? Like I think you know, that you kind of alluded to that with, you know, the like racial injustice. I think mm-hmm. at least for me, I sort of grieved like an ignorance or mm-hmm. um, just kind of a prior belief that, you know, was no longer true. Is that possible? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we can grieve lives we didn't get to live, lives we once lived that are now no longer. We can grieve um, a way of life whether it's good or bad, you know, like racism or whatever it is. Um, There's so many things to grieve. Grief is the series of emotions we feel going through loss. Um, Loss is transition. Loss is change, you know? So if you kind of look at it in those ways, we're constantly grieving these things. Right. Totally. I mean, especially in the pandemic, there was, there was a lot. Um, Mm -hmm. 
even if you weren't, you know, someone who directly lost someone. What about, um, you know, people often have dreams of those whom they're grieving or things that they've lost. What do those typically mean? You mean like how do you move through them? Kind of a, a, that or like is there a meaning to them? How do you move through the feelings that you get from them? That sort of thing. Can you give me an example of like what you're thinking? I mean, I do dream of people who have passed and then it's, I don't know, it's it's sort of its own like ripping off a Band-Aid, but also mm-hmm. you kind of like it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think – I think I hear a lot of people talk about wanting to have more dreams about their person who's died um, and not having enough. Or then on the other flip side, we have a lot of people who have nightmares and these very confusing dreams about someone they've lost. And so I think it's all a way of our, our mind and our brain processing that loss. It's so hard to comprehend that this person who was a family member or a close loved one is not here anymore. It's just mind blowing sometimes, you know, it's like hard to wrap your, your mind around it. So I think we play a lot of that out in dreams, which is healthy. This episode is brought to you by Newly. Have you ever felt that fast fashion ick, but can't always find the super high-end stuff? I have a solution for you, Newly. Newly has everything you need to bring your closet up to speed for this season without breaking the bank. Free your closet of impulse purchases and skip the buyer's remorse by renting instead. Newly is a subscription clothing rental service. For just $98 a month, you get your choice of any six styles each month. Access to thousands of styles from more than 400 brands. There are no fees, late fees, damage fees, or fees to pause or cancel. They also have inclusive sizing up to 5X as well as petite and maternity. And you always have the option to buy what you love. I love Newly. I've rented so many cute things from there, and I've even made a few purchases from there. And They're always spot on. They have so many brands that I honestly could never afford in real life. So it's great to be able to rent them. Newly is a great value at $98 a month for any six styles. But right now, you can get $20 off your first month of Newly when you sign up with the code DST20. Just go to Newly, that's N U U L Y dot com, and enter the code DST20 and sign up to get $20 off your first month. That's N-U-U-L-Y dot com, Newly with two U's, with code DST20. Newly subscription clothing rental. Change your clothes. Is it possible to experience grief for someone you, you know, let's say you have an estranged relationship with a parent and they pass away. What kind of, you know, grief experiences have you witnessed there? Yeah, there's a lot of um, grief there. I think that is one of the kind of categories that's only newly being acknowledged. You know, I I work with a lot of people who've lost a parent and I'll have a lot of people write to me and ask, can I grieve my absent mother, you know, who just never showed up? Or can I grieve my parent who had mental illness and wasn't the parent that I needed? Or can I grieve someone who has Alzheimer's, you know? And yes, the answer is always yes. And it's very similar to the grief we experience when we lose someone who died. Um, That grief can be a little trickier because the person is still here and there sometimes feels like there could be some opportunity to change it. Um, when even the reality is that there is not, but it's it's just the same kind of grief. And it's the same letting yourself really feel that this is not 
the life you thought you were going to be living, that this is not the relationship you wanted to have, um, and letting yourself just feel all the amalgam of emotions that come with that. Right. What are some early steps in dealing with grief? I know, you know, we've we've talked a lot about extended grief or, you know, getting stuck, but what what are some, let's say something really tragic happens to you? Like what are ways to kind of start to start processing that healthily in the moment so that you're not um, you know, suppressing it or anything like that? In some ways you can't. Um, in some ways, the processing really has to come later because there's so much shock. Um, there's so much trauma that can come. And even with, a, you know, you lose somebody to cancer, there's still this, this period of time in which it's so surreal and it's hard to connect to it and it's hard to understand it. And sometimes it's hard to have feelings. A lot of people will feel numb. Um, and again, it's kind of like we can only handle as much as we can handle in the beginning. So I think in the very beginning, the first six weeks, a couple of months of a big loss, it's about like getting up, making sure you're eating, making sure you're sleeping, like asking for support. Um, And then usually we get like the huge whammy of emotions in the three to nine month period of time. Um, And that is, looks like getting, just making sure there's support around you making sure that you are remembering to ask for help, that you are seeking out therapists, support groups, that kind of thing. Right. And I mean, even something that you sort of alluded to in your first, you know, when you first started this conversation was that there's not really like society doesn't really provide a lot of room for our grief. Like there's no like hall pass for like, I need to go cry at seven months. You know, Mm -hmm. you are still expected to just sort of like go with it. Um, And I think something that other people who have experienced grief will attest to is that like random things start to take on sort of like an insubordinate, like an, you know, an extra meaning. And, you know, you can be triggered by a song or, you know, really like a pill boy, an advertisement, whatever. And there's no like lever you can pull in your daily life to be like, sorry, this is too much for me right now, you know, in most situations. So no, that's right. Yeah. What, what do you tell people to do about that? I mean, I think that is when you really do need that support because you're right. Most, again, this is what we talked about in the very beginning. Most people really underestimate the length of time that grief extends into. And so it ends up feeling very lonely. You feel very isolated people. I have so many clients who will tell me, um, yeah, I was at work the other day and so-and-so came up to me and was like, how are you doing? And I was like, yeah, you know, still not great. And they were like, why? Like it didn't even occur to them that they might still be grieving, you know, their mom who had died seven months ago or whatever it was. Um, and so that, when that happens, that, that sends a message to the person who's grieving that they should be better by now. They should be over it. Um, and that's often not the case. I think recognizing for ourselves that grief is just the magnitude of it. I mean, I think it, it asks us to call into question everything we know about life, right? Like often we don't really wonder what happens when we die until we lose somebody really close to us. And then we're like, wait, where are they? Are they okay? Am I ever going to see them again? Um, Can they see me? Is everything like meaningless? Do we just like disappear when we die and it's all over? Like you end up with all these huge questions that you probably haven't really thought about until this moment. And so you're having this like existential crisis while you're grieving um, or going through like practical shifts in your life as well. It's intense. 
yeah, there's like a sense of like, oh, nothing really matters. We're so small, like, Mm -hmm. you know, and then I think relationships start to take on like a new richness in a way, or certain relationships do. And I don't know, I think it's impossible to experience grief without sort of like a reevaluation of like, how you're Absolutely. spending your time. What are you, ex- just all sorts of things like that. Yeah. You do start to look at all your relationships. Like who are the people that are not showing up for you? Who are the people that you have very shallow relationships with? And those are often the first things you start to discard. And then you start to realize who does matter to you and who does show up for you in your life. Right. Absolutely. And just speaking to that, what, what it, uh, it is so challenging, I think, to both give and receive support when you're, when you're grieving. I still don't really understand. Like, I don't – I couldn't say, like, what someone should do for someone who's grieving, nor do I feel like I would necessarily know, like, a blanket answer for what to do. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that – that's often because we don't know what to do for ourselves. So when we try to think of like, what do I even need? You don't know. You just feel like you're floundering and it sucks. And there's like nothing anybody can really do to help you, which on some level is true. But I think that the thing that we can do and the thing that we can ask for is just for someone to be there with us. You know, again, it's really lonely. It's isolating and that can be scary. And so knowing that there's somebody who's just kind of holding your hand, either from afar, you know, on a daily text message thread or just, you know, giving you a call here and there or answering the phone because they know you're going through a hard time. Even if you have nothing to say and you're just like, I need to just be with somebody as I'm going through this because it's hard. I think that is the greatest thing we can do, you know? What if you yourself really struggle to like ask for help? Well, I mean, I think that is when you will see some of these unhealthy things spill out because if you're not getting help and you're not supporting yourself as you go through this, it does, it gets really lonely. It can be anxiety provoking. It can be depressing. Um, And so you'll start to see this happen. And if you do want to move through some of those places, I think you're going to end up like, like I did. I, I mean, I, it's easy for me to say my parents died. And then I went to grad school. It's, it wasn't like that. It was like my parents died. I went through hell for a period of years in which I hit rock bottom in which I like, you know, tried to drink myself to death. I ran, traveled all over the world. I got into stupid relationships and I like kept not asking for help. And until it was too late, you know, or it was like, there was no other option. And so then I began to climb out of that place and help meant, you know, therapy. It meant, my friends stepping in and telling me that like, this was not going well, you know, and um, it meant a lot of different things. So you can go that route. I did it. Um, Or you can kind of start asking for help from the beginning. Right. And I mean, even though you said like grief sort of lasts forever, there's no, in three years you get like a grief day to like when that, you know, when it's needed, when that comes up, like it's, that would be weird to people to be like, oh, I need a a day to grieve someone who died like years ago. Well, it's weird in Western culture. It's not so weird in other cultures. You know, I think in Asia, they have a lot of beautiful grief rituals that extend throughout their lifetimes. We've got Day of the Dead in Mexico, where like every year you're honoring people who'd maybe died 50 years ago. And so, you know, I think other cultures do make more space for that and do kind of honor that we go through these losses and that they're significant and we want to honor the people we loved and honor our grief around them. We're really bad at it in America, you know, like we are really bad at it. So, (laughs) 
same, yeah, I mean, parallels a lot of our shortcomings around when people are born and the care given to mothers and therefore their, their babies. Another thing that I dealt with in like the wake of sort of all of these things happening to me, and I know others do have it who have expressed this as well, is this sort of like fear of losing more. Mm-hmm. It becomes like a almost a reflexive, like you you feel like you could lose anything at any time. And then it becomes mm-hmm. really there's a lot of intrusive thoughts that come with something like that. Like I used to just walking my dog, like just be terrified that like I would drop the leash and he would like run away and he would be gone. Mm -hmm. Like just stuff like that, where it's clearly like an irrational, consistent thought. Do you see that a lot? Do you, and what do you sort of like recommend for those types of issues? This is everything my most recent book is about, um, which is called Anxiety, The Missing Stage of Grief. And it's, but it's all about that. And it's about this thing that we've kind of been talking about where you go through that big loss and suddenly you see the world in a really different way. You see danger lurking everywhere. You see more death. You see everything through this lens of catastrophe, you know? So you begin to have those kind of intrusive thoughts. Um, And on some level, it's just our way of trying to prepare. Like we now know that these terrible things can happen and that feels really scary. And so we are constantly trying to like get ahead of it. Like, you know, before the shoe drops, the next shoe drops, we're trying to brace for it or we're trying to assume that it's coming. And really that's keeping us in this very stressed out, hypervigilant state. Um, it's totally normal. It happens more often than not. But I think that is a place where we can get really stuck. Um, And if we don't take some measures to work on that, and that's a lot of the work I do today with, with people. And it's a two part process. It, there's always more grief to be acknowledged. You know, some of the reason we do that is because we're not acknowledging our grief. So underneath all that anxiety is grief waiting to be processed. And then we can also just get stuck in those intrusive thoughts and that catastrophic thinking. So learning just practical tools to move us out of that. Um, Panic attacks. A lot of people begin to have panic attacks for the first time after a big loss. Um, You know, one of the things that I like to do, just a practical, easy thing to do when you do have those catastrophic thoughts is to, um, every time you catch yourself doing them, to flip the, the thought. And so you have that thought that like, you know, your dog's going to get off the leash and, and, and run away and die. Change it to, you know, immediately when you, when you have that thought, picture yourself at home snuggling with your dog and like, everything's fine. Like flip it to a positive thought. And, and every time that we do that, it takes some of the power away from that negative fantasy. And it helps remind us to not like fall into that black hole every time. That's a really, a really good technique. I mean, it, it has taken me like a lot of good things happening to like even start to undermine that like assumption that bad things will happen for me. And that has been a very hard way to, it's just because it completely changes your experience of life, regardless of what is actually happening to you. And yeah, there's just so many, there's so many parts of it that I think are not really understood or no one's no one prepares you for that like you're going to start to worry that everyone's going to die like no one tells you about that yeah it's it's really hard i went through that after my parents died and i just thought there was something wrong with me i thought i was crazy and i didn't connect it to my grief for a long time and then when i did 
and it was through studying trauma and psychology, I began to write about it. And the more I wrote about it online, the more people came to my office saying, I have that too, help me. And so I ended up, I've just been working with that population for a long time. Um, but it makes sense, you know, that we do that. And, and I do think that we need to get help and support when that starts happening. Okay. So just to sort of end off, what is, what do you believe could, I guess, sort of um, shift the American view towards grief and I don't know, like culturally, you know, try to like gain some cultural or policy, you know, respect in terms of policy for that? Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I think that the pandemic has been a big wake up call. Um, and, it, and it's unfortunate that it takes a pandemic for us to to really kind of start thinking about these things. But it did force us to think about policy around bereavement. It did force us to think about um, preparing more of our medical staff to be assisting in end-of-life care. I mean, we had all these nurses and and frontline medical workers who had never even had a class in grief and death and dying, and here they are helping their patients say goodbye to their loved ones on FaceTime. I mean, it was a disaster. And and so, you know, thinking about training for that, um, acknowledging all this grief that people are going through, even when they haven't lost a person, they're losing jobs, they're losing all kinds of stuff. Um, So I think we're having some shifts there for sure, and we have to keep talking about it. We couldn't have funerals and memorial services. So that lent itself to some creativity around ritual, which I think is a good thing. You know, we can we can come up with our own rituals. We can do all kinds of things. We don't have to stay in this narrow framework that we created in America a long time ago. Um, and so I'm I'm optimistic that we're going to continue seeing changes, but it we have to keep talking about it and we have to keep bringing it to the light. Totally. I completely agree. So tell us about your your new book that's coming out, where you where we can follow you, where people can get your previous books. Sure. Um, I'm on all the social media, just Claire Bidwell-Smith. And um, the most recent book is called Anxiety, The Missing Stage of Grief. And it's wherever books are sold. It's on audio. It's on Kindle. Um, and you know the other two books are also out there. One's about the afterlife and how it affects the grief process and thinking about different ways about it. And then the first one is a memoir about losing both of my parents. And I'm now working on a new book called Conscious Grieving. Thank you. I mean, that is that's really so amazing. So if anyone is, you know, going through something like this or knows someone who is and is looking for, you know, just to try to understand what they're going through, definitely check out those books. Is it okay if people reach out to you? Yeah, absolutely. My website is just clairebidwellsmith.com and I've got all kinds of grief support and resources on there. Awesome. Thank you so much, Claire. Thank you. Really appreciated having you. For our listeners, follow us at Diet Starts Tomorrow. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe or tell a friend. Um, I think this would be a really good episode to share with someone, you know, who's going through something like this. So thank you so much again, Claire. And we're always with you through thick and thin. Diet Starts Tomorrow is produced by Sean Kilby and Jorge Morales Pico. Editing by Stacey Wong and Sean Kilby. Social media by Sydney Rafe. Guest booking by Nicole Pellegrino. Be sure to follow at Diet Starts Tomorrow on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And send us your emails to dst at betches.com. Betches.